as we move here to worship through the through the word, I want to just acknowledge the fact that you know it's almost July fourth. Uh, it's, it's when we we celebrate the freedom that this country has given not only not only its citizens, but it has also affected many parts of the world. And that's something to be aware of and to be thankful, to be thankful for. It is it's just a, a reminder that even as individuals or as a nation, what we do, it is not contained. It spreads out. It goes everywhere. And I, I bring this up because in, in what we're going to be studying today, it is a chapter in which God first, is the first time God calls Israel a nation. And we're going to go through the things that, that he did for them and how he organizes them into these people who's going to do that, not to be contained in, in, the, in the little borders, but just to go out and bless. And we can see that just not, all, not, all, not as a as nation only, but as, as people, we, we do that. So let, let's recapitulate here before jumping into, we're going to be reading from Exodus 19. Before going in there, we're going to, Pick up where the story is. Have a little um, reminder, or perhaps a, you know what what happens in the shows. Like in the last season, you can see this and that and the other. So this is pretty much what we're doing. We just want to jump into it, and we, without forgetting, without re- remembering what has happened before. So just as a matter of going fast through these things. The book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, first book of what we call the Pentateuch, or what we call the law, which law is not the best things of do and do not. It's a better translation for it will be instruction. These are the five books of instruction. So we, we start with Genesis 1 through 11. It's just, as you see in the picture, it's just the, the, the garden. God puts humanity there. Humanity just spirals down, ends up with the Tower of Babel, and things are chaotic. Things are not where they're supposed to be. That was not God's plan. But he's not giving up. He's not just tossing everything out and saying, we're going to restart all this thing again. He kind of did that in the flood. But he did rescue someone from the flood and restarted this whole thing with him. In chapter 12, 1 to 3, there's a promise made to a guy called Abraham. He comes, he is called out of the um, Ur of the Chaldeans, which is just another name for Babylon. He's called out and he's given a promise. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. Then we have the second half of it, which deals specifically with the family of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 kids. We get to Joseph. With Joseph, they end up in Egypt. Later on, when 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 they're in, when many years pass by, four hundred and thirty ish years pass by, and we have this family, we're just seventy. That's the promise that we're given to to Abraham that through his family that we're going to bless all the nations. They end up in Egypt. They multiply. They did do what they were called to do in Genesis one to be fruitful and multiply. So they out of seventy people that are that you can read in, in Exodus 1, they become a lot. And the Pharaoh, 
who teamed up with Joseph to keep everyone safe out of these seven years of famine. There were seven years of abundance, but there were seven years of famine. He died, and, and this generation died, and people multiplied. There came another guy in, in power who did not know Joseph, and fear got the best of him. And he started making some awful decisions. So when we get to the book of Exodus, we can divide it in, in the three parts that you see there. Chapters 1 through 18 is about God dealing with Pharaoh, this big bad guy who's killing newborns, throwing them into the water. So then he, the people cried out to God, and, the, and God said, I'm going to free my people. He calls Moses. Moses is the one who's to be the means through, which, through whom which God will bring the people out. And he does. Ten plagues later, they're on their way out. They cross the Red Sea, and they're, they're done with the Egyptians. They all got buried down or drowned in the Red Sea. So we're in this part right now. So we're going to Mount Sinai. And that's, that's where we're going to take our story from there. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And when they reach to Mount Sinai, the Lord tells them, you guys are going to camp here for a good chunk of time. It's a year that they're there. So let's, let's read, because in, in Exodus 19, 1 through 9, that's where we, where we start reading what's happening. Why is it so relevant for them to be in Mount Sinai? So in the third month, let me get read from my Bible. By the way, I'm reading from the CSB. If you don't have one, there should be some in front of you under the chairs. If you don't have one, please feel free to take one as well. Okay. It's, I know the font is a little small, but we can, we can manage. All right, so let's read 1 through 9. In the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain, went up the mountain to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. And explain to the Israelites. And explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I carried you on eagles wings. And brought you to myself. Now. If you will carefully listen to me. And keep my covenant. You will be my own possession. Out of all the peoples. Although. The whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought... Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. And Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump here into reading and studying your word, may you be the one who grants us wisdom. 
gives us understanding that it is through the wisdom in these words that's going to challenge our lives just to become what you have called us to be. It is your truth, Father. It's not our truth. It's not the fact, the thing that what is being said today, that the truth is relative. There's no such thing. These words, what you have spoken, when you have given us, is the truth. Anyone to learn from you, want to learn it, so we can make it real in the way we live. Thank you, because you have not been a silent God, but you have revealed yourself to us. And we can understand who you are and what you have called us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. So the people of Israel, they do say, I just want to emphasize that. In verse 8, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. Which is, I think it's, it's funny. We know a little bit about the story of Israel. That's pretty much the last thing they did. And you know, and, and that's right. And and, and this and this is this is very interesting because the the writer, the, whoever is writing this, wants the reader to think, oh yes, they didn't do many of the things they said we're going to do, but then he's setting us up because then who are we to say such things, right? We pretty much are in the same page with them. We don't we fail many times. Nevertheless, it's not about what we can or cannot do, but about what God has done. And that's what we're going to explore here in this, in this passage. So in the first few verses, that they reach the mountain, it took Israel three months. So it says in the third month from the very day they left. Other translations says our third moon. The, the months were not like the months we have today. The word in order, so it's about 50 days that it took them for them to get there. If you put it in Google Maps, it says only four days, you know, but it's a different time. It's, there, there are roads and bridges, and you're not taking cattle with you and a lot of bounty you get from Egypt, and it's on thousands of people, so it takes time. And they camp at different places. That's why on verse 2... They say that they travel from Rephidim. Because they left Egypt. Across the sea. And they, they camped. One of the places they camped is Rephidim. It's, this is relevant. And the, and the writer makes this clear. Or emphasizes this. Because it is at this place. That the people first. Well, the second time. They complain for water. About water. We don't have any water. Please give us water. And then water comes from the rock. They are also the place where they are attacked by a group of people, a nation called Amalek. And the Lord defended him. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But that's why that's relevant. That's why that's mentioned there, that they camped at Rephidim. Another thing to notice is that when they get to this the Mount Sinai, it is the same place where Moses saw the burning bush back in Exodus 3. It is called Mount Horeb there, but it was not uncommon for as a place to have different names. Just like when I say, I'm going to go up to the cities. I could say that, or I could say, I'm going to go up to Minneapolis slash St. Paul. It's shorter to say the cities, right? But it's the same thing. It's just two names 
for a, for a same place. And they get there. And every time they pause, every time they camp, the Lord makes some kind of provision or, or revelation, tells people what He's going to do or what, what His his plans are. They He talks to people. And this is so important, especially in that day and culture. Because usually the gods didn't do this. And we're going to, again, jump into that in a little bit later. Now, why are they here? Why the Lord took them out of Egypt? Certainly because there were many injustices being done. You know, the the, the newborns. Not only that, they were supposed to get the materials to work with. They were not even getting that. So there were many things happening. But one of the key things that God is doing here is that keeping His promise. He's keeping His promise to Abraham. He told Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. Through your family. How is that going to happen if they're enslaved? How is that going to happen if they're in Egypt? They don't have a nation. They don't have a land. So this is the Lord working to that point, to fulfill that promise. And in this section, in, in, in Exodus 19, we're going to get these little spoilers here for you. We're going to notice these four things, these four indications of grace. We're going we're gonna to go through. They're rescued from Egypt. They receive protection and provision. They're invited into a covenant. And they are called their treasure possession, which is just not, a, not only a nice name to be called, or not only just a static or, or passive status, it's more. So let's jump into the first one. You have seen what I did to the, to the Egyptians. Let's go back. Because these people, this just happened like three months ago for them. They were in Egypt. They were being enslaved. Pharaoh was doing whatever he wanted with them. He has considered that since they're afraid of him, it's better just to kill all the boys. They're being oppressed. We have, I don't know if we have ever experienced this. It's not a fun place to be. They were killing the babies. You know how, what has to go through your head? Or what do you have to, to, how afraid you have to be to think that a solution for population control is killing infants? It is sad. And it is what happens when humanity just decides what's good and bad. They call the bad good and the good they call bad. So they, they're, they're in this situation, but the Lord is telling them, you saw, you didn't hear what I did to the Egyptians, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. Through Moses, he confronts Pharaoh and tells them that they're going to be free. Pharaoh resists, and this is, you know, God is so merciful and gracious that it's not like, I tell you once and that's it, No. He goes and confronts Pharaoh ten times. Ten times. Ten opportunities for you to just let them go. And everything will be peachy for you. Just let them leave. Everything's going to be okay. He said no again and again and again and again and again. And yes, we read that sentence that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? I mean, does it mean that God is... in? 
intentionally created this person for this. No, it just, it just means that when God reveals Himself, He shows, He, he brings, He reveals pe- the, the, condition of people's, the condition of people's hearts. That's what happens. It's just like having, you know, a, a pile of clay and a pile of wax. You put them under, just like today right now in the, in the morning that is very hot. You put them outside, what's going to happen to the mud? Or the clay, I mean. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harden. What happens to the wax? It's going to melt. God just reveals the conditions of people's hearts. Even though he knew that, he gave Pharaoh ten chances. Anyway, they leave, they are out of Egypt, there are free people, and this is, you know, it's Yahweh, it's, it's the Lord freeing His people from their oppressor. They're, they're out. They no longer have to live there now. There's a challenge of how do we live as a free people, that comes later. But God doesn't stop there, He just doesn't provide a way out. He is with them through and through. And we can see that on the second indication of grace. And the next part of this verse, in verse 4b, and how I carried you on eagles. So on the first one, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, and, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Again, that's an, uh, an image of how the Lord, kind of when you carry a baby, you know, you just you take them. You hold them close to you and take care of them. So the Lord does with the people. They are through the desert. There's, we don't know what a desert is, right? Just sand. There's no life. That's what it's called the wilderness. People can't thrive or live in the desert. That's the whole point of the Lord in Genesis 2, bringing up a garden so humans can thrive and flourish there. In the desert, you can't do that. Nonetheless, God provides and provides again and again and again and again. And, you know, he, he does it regardless of what people, the people he's saying. Because the first time, one of the ways he does is by making water sweet. Or, well, not sweet. He, the water was bitter. He, make it, he made it drinkable. Fresh water. What happened? People were coming out. It will, had, three days had passed and they were thirsty. They couldn't drink the water at this place called Mara because it was bitter. And they grumble against Moses. What are we going to drink? So then Moses cried to, to the Lord. And then he showed him a tree. And he, you know, just think about the connection with the tree. A tree or, or a wood, right? I don't know how big it was, a log, whatever. He throws this into the water and makes the water drinkable. There's another tree we heard of, the tree of life. Those connections are intentional there. That it is this tree that brings life when I put it into water that is not drinkable, makes it drinkable, brings, gives you life. That's one. They keep walking, and then like they complain again. We only had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. So, wait a minute. We've been set free. We're no longer under oppression. Oh yes, but, you know, we would have rather died there because over there... Oh, we just had to go and read the stories and see how much they were suffering and not really getting that much food and working more than 12 hours. Till there's slaves. There's, there's no rest. They just work and work and work. 
So what does the Lord does do? He tells him he's going to rain bread from heaven for you. That the people are going to go out and gather. Later on in the New Testament, when, when the New Testament authors are reflecting on this, they say that they ate angelic bread, bread from heaven. How do you, you know, the, the word, they didn't know what it was. It's called manna because manna means, what is this? They had no idea what it was. But it was edible. And they ate it. And the Lord provided again. They keep walking. They get to this place called Rephidim. And again, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, you know, we, I did provide water and bread. Just, I'm just asking a little faith here. You know, just a little trust. The Lord tells him, okay, you're going to go hit this rock and water will come out of it. I've never seen water come out of rock. You know, it's a little, it's miraculous, we would say, right? So he did that. Again. Then, they keep, at this place where they're camping, drinking water, these people, Amalek, come out from wherever they are and engage in war. How are they going to? They're not warriors. They they don't have an army. They're slaves. How are they going to beat this? Beat these people? We don't know if the other people were warriors. We don't know that, but we for sure know that the Israelites weren't. So the Lord tells him, "Okay, select." And then Moses got to select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. And then Moses goes on top of a mountain and he raises his hands. And as he's raising them, Joshua keeps them. As he keeps his hands raised or arms raised, Joshua defeated Amalek and his army. The Lord providing safety again. And one, and this is between you know just before, it's chapters fifteen, I think seventeen, seventeen through eighteen. This is when all this happens. So just out of 15, sorry, through 18, just out of coming from Egypt, all, all these narratives we find there is just people complaining, 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 complaining. And the Lord providing, providing, providing. Now it's, we, we get this story about Moses judging the people. Well, not judging, but just making things right among people because there are disputes and so on. You know, when you get people together, there's disagreements, misunderstanding, miscommunication. So he's judging, making things right for everyone. His father-in-law comes and tells him, you're just going to burn out here if you do this from morning to evening. You need to set up a system in which not only you, but also the people won't burn out. Because this is too heavy. You can't do it alone. That's what Jethro tells him. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. You cannot do it alone. Let me give you some advice and God be with you. Select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, who hate this honest prophet and place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they were supposed to make things right among these people. The things that were too complicated for, for the, the, the leader of tens, they were going to bring it to the one who's fifties or to the one that is over thousands. Or if it were too complicated, we'll bring it to 
Moses. But he set up this system in which you won't burn out. Because that was going to happen. So God provides in five ways. Giving water and bread. From people attacking them. And from themselves. Because they're, going, they're not going to make it to the promised land. If, they, if Moses keeps doing that. That's why we have sabbaticals, right? He was not getting one, so he needed one. And, and what, he did, what he got is an, he organized. Jethro give, gives him the advice to organize the people. So he, they all can flourish. So they all can survive this track, this mission they have into getting to the promised land. Yahweh cared for Israel lovingly. He carried them, he kept them safe all the way to the promised land. We're not going to go all the way to there, but What's, what comes next? Now the Lord invites them into a covenant. Now this may find a little, you know, okay, so here it is, you know, I give you, you give me back. Not at all. This covenant, what this covenant means, which is the first time in the book of Exodus that people, that the Lord is asking people to keep this covenant. But why don't, why until, why now? Why does this happen right now? It didn't happen before the Exodus. It didn't happen before the sea was crossed. All these things happen first, and then He gives him a covenant. Now there's a little story from a Jewish parable, Jewish teacher, Rabbi Ishmael. And he says the following. Why didn't the Torah or instruction begin with the Ten Commandments? And he gives this parable. A man entered a country and said, make me your king. The people replied, what have you ever done for us that we should make you our king? So then this man, he built them walls, made them waterworks, fought wars on their behalf. Then again, he came back and said, make me your king. And they said, yes, indeed. Thus God liberated Israel from Egypt, divided the sea for them, gave them manna from heaven, provided them with a water supply, provisioned them with quail, fought Amalek on their behalf, and then said to them, make me your king. And that's what people say in verse 8. Oh yes, everything that you say we will do. Of course, of course they will. This is why we're looking at these indications of grace. What had the Israelites done to deserve all this? Haven't done anything. One of the many, many reasons why I'm thankful with my parents is that when I was still like two years, three years old, they decided that I'm going to go to an English immersion school. This is back in Honduras. I'm originally from Honduras. They speak Spanish. There's, that's the, and there's some other probably languages, indigenous languages. But Spanish is the official language. So they decided to do this. And because I, was, I started learning English at three, I kept practicing through all elementary and high school, middle school and high school. And then was able to be in mission trips and so many other op- doors that opened from just the gift that my father's, my parents gave me to learn English. 
I met my wife. I could have not met my wife if I would have not known English. That would have been very difficult. Or preaching here to you guys. I'll be doing it in Spanish, but I think none of us will be benefited from that. What did I do to deserve that? I didn't do anything. Did I complain that I was learning a different language in a Spanish-speaking country? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. A lot. Because it's hard. The pronunciation is hard. The, the rules are hard. There's more verb tenses in Spanish than in English. That's a little easier. But it is difficult. And I'm still learning. But I didn't do anything to deserve. This is out of sheer grace and a vision that my parents had. It will be good for you to learn English. And I'm thankful, very thankful for that. What has Israel done to this point? Absolutely nothing. They haven't done anything. And there is a purpose. That purpose for me was to be able to not only know a different language, I didn't know how many doors it was going to open, but understand a different culture. Being able to live in a different place. Being able to communicate. And so many other things that come out of this blessing that I was given. This deed of grace that my parents decided to give me. So we go to the fourth one. You're a treasured possession. Verses 5 to 6. You will be my own. The CSB says my own Possession, ESV says treasured. Treasured should be the word. Not that the CSV is bad, it's just that's the differences between translations, and that's okay. Treasure possession out of all the peoples for all the earth, although all the earth is mine. And you will be, so let me pause there. God takes him out of Egypt, provides for them, brings him to Mount Sinai, goes into a covenant with them. That covenant, just think about marriage, how you go into marriage, uh, covenant of marriage, that you're united with one person, committed to that person, till when? Forever. That, that, that's the kind of covenant that God has, has made with Israel. So just as our spouses or children or parents, whatever, there are treasure possessions, so is the Lord with Israel. Israel, this is my treasure possession. Not only just to provide and just give them everything they want. I mean, they, he does that, but there is a mission. Let's not forget the promise that is given in, in Genesis 12. Through you, I will bless the nations. So you're my treasure possession because I love you, because I care for you, but we have something to do together here. You have something just as in any community. You get together with other people to accomplish the same goal. We have something to do together. So it is not a static or a passive status, but an active one. It's a dynamic one. They are not only treasure possession to be put away, to be set apart. Holy does mean that as well. We're going to get to that. But, in order, but they're supposed to be the means through whom God will fulfill His purpose. The Lord continually wants to work through human beings. Just think about when Jesus, He made Himself human. It is through humans that the Lord carried out His purpose. He calls Moses. 
When he when when you read that that story about the Lord talking to Moses, he tells Moses, "Hey, I'm going to free uh, Israel Israel from Egypt." And Moses is like, "Fine, great, that sounds good." So now you go. And so that the Lord wants to work with people, He wants that. That's why He or He stretched your procession, and He tells him, "You're going to be a kingdom of priests." Now, all the people of Israel was supposed to be, was supposed to become intermediaries for other peoples and other nations before God. Israel is supposed to be the bridge between Yahweh and the other nations. That's the whole point of bringing blessing to all the nations. Now, that was the plan. Then again... We, we got a little hiccup here. And when Israel is invited to receive this calling up the mountain, they don't want to. They tell Moses, you go. Because we don't want to go up on that fire because we're going to burn us all. Even though Moses already went and came back, you know. Anyway, the lack of faith that not only they have, but we all do. So instead of being a kingdom of priests, they become a kingdom with priests. Again, God kind of settles, gives into what people want, like meets them where they are, where they are at. So a select few become priests, especially the line of Aaron, Moses' older brother, instead of everyone, all the Israelites. Now that's the kingdom of priests, and He tells them also, "You're going to be my holy nation." As I mentioned before, holy does. It means set apart, like a different category, you're in different status. But it also implies that through this holiness, the Israelites will be able to go into the Lord's presence. The book of Leviticus is about that. It's about how do you clean yourself, how you are become holy, not just to be in a higher spiritual status than everyone else, but so you can have access to the source of life. You can go into God's presence. Holiness is not the end, but the means through which we go back into God's presence. That's a distinction we need to let that sink in us. Because if Israel is a holy nation, they can go into God's presence to do what? To intercede. For whom? For everyone else. That's what Jesus do. That's what we are called to do. To intercede. Holiness is not the end. But the means. So we have this. We have these four evidences. These four indications of grace. They haven't done anything. The Ten Commandments. They come in chapter 20. At this point. There are no commandments. That doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. No. Does not mean that. But it is that what I'm giving to you is not tied, it's not conditional. It's a gift. So Moses, in verses 7, 8, and 8, after Moses comes back, he summoned, because he's, the Lord is telling all this to Moses up in the mountain, right? So he comes, he comes down and he summoned the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And then all the people responded together. Yes, we will do all this that the Lord has spoken. Because when 
took us, out of, took us out of Egypt. He protected us and provided in the wilderness, even though we complained a lot. He invited us into a covenant. We are His people. We are His treasure possession. I know we don't all want to be priests. We just want to have some priests. But that's okay. We'll do everything that He commanded. And Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Now this, it may sound to us, you know, just another sentence or another thing of what God is doing, but it is so countercultural because this didn't happen. The gods didn't speak to people. They didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. For starters, you know, you have these idols. They can't. They can't speak. But the belief was that it was the gods who order everything. They keep everything together. But they didn't reveal their will. They didn't tell people what to do. And then we have this God who, know, who reveals his name. You know, we're on a per, uh, personal basis here. Who wants to go into not only a relationship, but into the relationship and he tells them, now, it's not only, you're not, you're not the only one hearing this, or you will not be the only one hearing this, Moses. It will be everyone hearing this. This didn't happen. When we study the ancient Near East and, and all the cultures and, and, and the way they did things, this was not something they, they did. This was not common. This was countercultural. When I mention, there's a map here that I want to bring up. Because the ancient Near East is what we call today the Middle East. Is, is that area. That's the ancient Near East. It's the, it's the Middle, our Middle East today. But the different cultures are the Sumerians and Babylonians and all of those people. The belief about the gods was, were the same. People wanted to know what the gods wanted, had to say. Because things happen. Outside of Eden, bad things happen. And people are wondering, did I offend the God? Did I didn't do what I was supposed to do? What's going on? Please, someone tell me how can I appease all this God because all of these bad things have befallen upon me. What can I do? There is a prayer. Well, before jumping into that prayer, people would try to do so many different things to figure out what the gods had to say. And then we get all the whole point of sacrifices is to appease these angry gods and to know what the gods had to say. So many, some of the things that they would do is that they would drop oil into water and then try to see what shape comes out of that because you know, it doesn't mix. So you probably a big circle, a small circle, a novel, whatever. And they will try to interpret that Good luck. They would study the stars. We still do that. Not only as astronomy. They would study the stars and see these things. Is you know. Well, I'm forgetting the word here. Uh, oracles or, or things happening up there. They will contact the dead. They will try to do that as well. We, saw, we have a story with, with Saul trying to contact Samuel. That didn't end up well either. They would sacrifice animals just to appease this angry God. They would get 
there's their guts out and try to see their different shapes and forms, and they would they would get creative. They, what, this, what this tells you is that they were desperate to know. They wanted to know what the what the gods wanted, but they couldn't. So we jump to this prayer. That is a prayer during the same time of the Exodus, and this is someone who has no idea who he's praying to, what he what he should be praying for. May my Lord's angry heart be reconciled. May the God or goddess I do not know be reconciled. May the God or goddess, whoever he or she is, be reconciled. Oh my Lord, many are my wrongs, great are my sins. Oh my God or goddess, many are my wrongs, great my sins. Oh God or goddess, whoever you are, many are my wrongs, great are my sins. I do not know what wrong I have done. I do not know what sin I have committed. I do not know what abomination I have perpetrated. Or what taboo I have evaluated. Clueless. But then, the Israelites, which they have lived for 400 years in Egypt, knowing about all these gods, they had no idea what these gods wanted. Probably what they thought they wanted is just for them to be slaves of the Egyptians. That said, but they haven't heard about them. Well, they have heard about them. They haven't heard from them. What are we going to do? And then we get to this point. We get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, comes down. Hey, the Lord said this and the other. But hey, get ready because he will not only talk to me, but to all of you. Of course, they would say yes. They know what they're supposed to do. They know who they are, who they belong to. This God has made Himself personal to them. They're content. Now things are easier said than done. But at this point, they are glad. They are happy. And of course they say yes. Because who doesn't want to serve a God who first gives you grace. First He saves you. And then He changes your life. He doesn't, He's not a dictator. He doesn't want to corner you into doing what He wants. No, He shows you this is how you are supposed to live. As we just saw with the Israelites, God saved them first from Egypt and provided for, for them until you get to a point in which He can reveal Himself to them. And after that, after He had done all that for them, just by grace, they didn't deserve it, then they tell me, let me change your life. Because you still have Egypt in you. Let me change that. And what, do, what does He give them? Instructions. What we call the law. But the, the law, the instructions, they're a gift. They're a gift. They're like those little walls around playgrounds for, for little ones. This is where you can play and be happy and, and, and keep yourself out of harm. That's what the law is. It's a gift. And it's the same with us. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. And it's not ours. It doesn't come from us. But it comes as a gift. 
from God. And not only, not for stuff we have done, that way no one can say that they can achieve it. How does this happen? Because we, and not only that, but it eternally separates us from the Father, from the Creator. We're repeating the same thing, just getting away and away and away. But then instead of receiving those consequences for our sins, because that's what sin, those are the wages of sin, those are the consequences of sin, it's death and eternal separation, Jesus takes those upon Himself. He dies on our behalf, He takes that, and then we receive a new life that is no longer under the power of sin and death, but under God's grace. It's a gift. Now this gift calls with a calling. Like in Ephesians 2.10 says, that we are His workmanship. God has recreated us for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. What the Lord did for the Israelites is doing with us. Why? Why is, he, why is He doing that? Why did He do it? Yes, He loved us. And there's a purpose here. Because then, not, and now, not only Israel are His holy nation. Not only Israel are kingdom of priests. Now we become a holy nation. We are individually and collectively the place where the Lord's presence dwells. For what purpose? So that way we become a kingdom of priests. And we bring these blessings to all those around us. We bring life into a world that is dying. We bring life to people who don't... We bring hope to people who doesn't have it. And we bring new ways that don't lead to death. But it's life, not us, but the Lord through us. We are capable of doing all these things. It is... Now, then, because of what the Lord has done through Jesus, then we all become God's treasure possession. And it's a gift. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, so many things to be thankful for. The Lord, we won't, we can't, we can't enumerate it. We can't count them. What we know what we have seen is that you're gracious. That you're not an oppressor. You're a God who sets us free. Free from our ways. From our, the things that we think we know as good. And you transform us. We get, receive that gift of life. So we then can now have true life in you. Father, we, we see that in the history of Israel. How you call them not only to be set apart and be put away, but to be the means that you are using to restore the world. Now we have been called into the same. Into the same path, into the same vocation. And we want to ask you, Father, that we have humility, enough humility to acknowledge this, to give in to you, to surrender to you. And let you do the transformation of our hearts. So that way we can go. And be the kingdom of priests. Be the holy nation. In your name we pray. Amen.